Packs a punch. The areas hit hardest by heavy rain and wind. Controversial posters pop up. My stomach just dropped. It's really horrifying to see something like that. Residents fight back to say racism is not okay. And waste in the water. They can't just be there and break the laws. A flotilla of boats flouting the law in False Creek. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Take a look at that. Most of the parking lot at Grouse Mountain covered in mud and debris after a huge slide. Thankfully, the mountain was closed and no one was hurt. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us. The torrential rain might be only a memory for most people, but a number of areas are still dealing with the cleanup. Including the North Shore and Maple Ridge, where some homeowners are describing the flooding in their area as catastrophic. Jordan Armstrong reports. Roads turned into rivers, lawns more like lakes. This area of Maple Ridge is known to flood, but not this extreme. Some of us were almost swept away by the current. Um, the, the house here has about two and a half to three feet of water in it. Catastrophic for the homeowners who just finished renovating after a burst pipe. Now this. There's a, a lot of valuable things in there um, and they're all, it's destroyed. Just absolutely destroyed. The storm brought close to 45 millimeters of moisture to parts of the lower mainland overnight. Driving rain slowing the commute. The only thing full speed were the windshield wipers. On the North Shore, at least two debris flows came down. The Grouse Mountain Skyride Plaza and parking lot are coated in mud. And this trail in Lynn Headwaters Park is officially closed, washed out by the weather. Wind wasn't a huge concern, but it was still strong enough to shred the landmark Canadian flag in Guilford. Replacing it will cost about $6,000. The bill for residents in Maple Ridge, much higher. The crawl space is full of water, so we're going to have to pump that out, but it's mainly the livestock and stuff. We've lost a bunch of hay, but the animals are all safe, so that's what's important. Some are frustrated by the city's response, saying they called for sandbags at 3 a.m. The city honestly just kind of said, well, wait till 7.30 in the morning. By then, the water had risen. 224th Street has dried out now, but across the lower mainland, crews are digging out culverts and preparing for the next storm. The rainy season has only just begun. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right, let's bring in our Christy Gordon to take a look at the rainfall totals and what's ahead. Christy. So this rainstorm lasted for about 36 hours. Certainly the hardest hit areas were along the mountains from West Vancouver through Port Coquitlam, Pitt Meadows, and then over towards Maple Ridge. But what's interesting is we saw almost two-thirds of these amounts happen within a six-hour period just last night. And it's that intensity that can be so damaging with the water just has nowhere or not enough time to go anywhere. And uh, so that's certainly the hardest part of a, of a rainstorm. And look at the soaker that's on the way for us tomorrow. So when I come back, we'll be talking about that intensity and which areas we expect it in. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, police are still investigating that bus crash north of Prince George yesterday that sent 18 people to hospital. None of the injuries were life-threatening and all of the passengers are back home tonight. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the crash has resurrected the debate over whether all buses should have seatbelts. 
Emergency crews rushed to the scene after a bus carrying 32 Can4 employees slid off Highway 97, about 20 kilometers north of Prince George. 16 people were transported to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, including several who were ejected. The roads and weather conditions were, were less than ideal. They were slushy and slippery, uh, with uh, snow falling uh, mixed with rain, making for a uh, very uh, hazardous, potentially treacherous driving conditions. Lack of seatbelts, also an issue in the crash, and in this one earlier in the year. A bus filled with international students crashed on the Coquihalla. Dash cam footage showed their tour guide being ejected through the windshield and landing in a snowbank. Amazingly, he only suffered a broken leg. Canada's Standing Committee on Transportation is set to study if seatbelts on coach buses and school buses should be mandatory. There is a sense of urgency here. Uh, you know, we're sending tens of thousands of kids out on school buses and many, many more on highway coaches every day. Uh, so if we're not doing as much as we need to do to ensure their safety, then we've got to get this done sooner rather than later. Of course, equipping buses with seatbelts wouldn't guarantee that passengers actually wear them. As for the Prince George crash, WorkSafe BC is now investigating, and all of those injured have since been released from hospital. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Burnaby RCMP are looking for witnesses to an accident that killed a pedestrian. A 64-year-old man was in a marked crosswalk on Marine Drive at Greenall Avenue when he was struck by a vehicle just before 8 yesterday morning. He has since died in hospital. The driver remained at the scene and is cooperating, but RCMP would like to speak with anyone who saw it. In particular, they're looking for the occupants of a white compact pickup truck and a large white commercial delivery truck who were seen in the area at the time. The man who killed a Japanese exchange student and left her body stuffed in a suitcase on Vancouver's West End has learned his fate. 51-year-old William Schneider was convicted last month of second-degree murder in the 2016 death of 30-year-old Natsumi Kogawa. A second-degree murder conviction carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison with no parole eligibility for 10 to 25 years. Yesterday, Crown Counsel called for 17 years without parole eligibility. Global's Nadia Stewart was in court today to hear the judge's final decision. Nadia, what is it? Oh, 14 years until William Schneider will be eligible for parole. On top of that, another three and a half years to be served concurrently with that life sentence for that single count of indignity to a human body. Now, as she delivered her decision, Madam Justice Giroux said, quote, Mr. Schneider treated Ms. Kagawa's body like garbage and left her to decompose in a suitcase. Giroux also described this as a random killing and said Ms. Kagawa's body was treated with disrespect. Quote, this was the killing of a completely innocent young woman. Now, we did hear from William Schneider today. He addressed the court before that sentencing decision came down. He said, quote, I'm just so sorry for your pain. That comment was directed at Mrs. Kagawa. That's Natsumi Kagawa's mother. She was not in the courtroom today. We learned yesterday that she'd already returned home to Japan. Now, the question now is about whether or not there will be an appeal. We did put that question to Mr. Schneider's lawyer. He said it's much too soon to make a determination about that. Back to you. All right, Nadia, thank you. 
The former Gibson city councilor who was on the verge of being acclaimed as the new mayor is now facing impaired driving charges. Silas White was involved in a crash September 16th. Now, at that time, he was the only person running for mayor. After the accident, he withdrew from the race, citing personal and health reasons. Bill Beamish was eventually elected mayor, defeating three other people who also entered the mayoral race. Silas White faces two charges, including impaired driving causing bodily harm. In a statement, White says the accident happened while he was dealing with the impacts of a concussion that he'd sustained in an earlier bike accident. He says he hopes to have the charges resolved as quickly as possible. The mother of a special needs teenager who died this past summer while on a sailing outing is suing for damages. 16-year-old Gabriel Pollard, who had a severe form of muscular dystrophy, was being lifted out of a boat by a hoist when the sling used to carry him broke loose. He fell into the water and suffered a seizure on the way to the hospital, where he was pronounced dead. The sailing association says nothing could have prevented the accident, but Pollard's mother, who witnessed it, is suing a number of organizations seeking damages for pain and suffering, loss of income, as well as care and companionship and other special damages. The debate over B.C. voters' ability to recall politicians has reached the office of the province's conflict commissioner. The Liberal Party has filed a complaint against NDP Attorney General David Eby, alleging he's in a conflict for trying to reform recall laws. Aaron MacArthur reports. There are some upset people in David Eby's Point Grey riding. The Attorney General quite likely facing a recall campaign when the gates open November 9th. Ahead of that, though, the NDP is introducing legislation to change how those efforts might be funded. The B.C. Liberals say the province's top cop changing the rules to protect himself. The Attorney General has an obligation to all British Clemens to act in the public's best interest, and we're not seeing that from David Eby this time around. The Attorney General believes this is nothing more than politics. His goal is to level the playing field and bring recall campaigns into line with other elections. The issue that I was concerned about then is the same one that our government is concerned about now, which is big money in politics, that it can influence decisions, that it can uh, cause people to not make decisions in the interests of British Columbians. The Liberals are asking Conflict Commissioner Paul Fraser to rule on whether David Eby can vote or even debate the bill in the House. This kind of thing should be respecting the citizens' entitlement to the vote. Citizens are the ones who recall, and political parties should stay out of it. So this should have been sent out to an independent body to figure out the right approach to it. There has never been a successful recall campaign. The rules make it almost impossible to unseat an MLA. There are three MLAs likely to face recall campaigns, Daryl Plekis, Rich Coleman, and David Eby. And in Point Grey, there's even a website aimed at gauging support. The conflict commissioner will render a ruling next week. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Meantime, the Liberals have begun their annual convention in Vancouver in rebuilding mode, promising to reveal a renewed brand and identity. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with more on what that means. Keith, how are the Liberals going to remake themselves? Yeah, it's a good question. A big challenge for the B.C. Liberals. They really are still licking their wounds from that upset victory, election loss, essentially. Even though they won most of the votes and most of the seats, they still seem to be in a bit of denial of the state uh, their party is in. And all sorts of people calling for renewal and change, including Jazz Johal, the new MLA for Richmond-Queensboro, saying it's more than just renewal. It's also about generational change and getting younger people more active in the party. Here's Johal. 
Look, there's a generational shift afoot as well in politics. Today in 9 out of 10 provinces, Gen X and Millennials, those 52 and under, outnumber baby boomers. We have to represent all concerns in this province. So we have to really focus on, at this point, I believe, are we listening to a younger generation? What do they see? What are the Millennials hearing? What are the Gen Xers talking about? So the BC Liberals are actually a little pleasantly surprised because so many people are at that convention. More than a thousand people expected to turn up tomorrow to hear party leader Andrew Wilkinson deliver his first speech since he became party leader uh, earlier this year. So again, the challenges mount and remain for the BC Liberals, but this convention presumably is a good start at uh, basically getting on an equal footing again with the ruling New Democrats. All right, we'll see what comes of it. Thank you, Keith. New Westminster police are investigating some provocative signs and allegations of racism after those signs were posted not far from City Hall. New West resident Vanessa Wozno spotted the signs that said it's okay to be white. She notified police and then took the signs down. Almost identical signs were found elsewhere in Canada, including University of Manitoba. My stomach just dropped. It's really horrifying to see something like that. The language might look innocuous, but I know that it's rhetoric that's used by white supremacist organizations and um, different uh, right-wing organizations. So I was really shocked to see it in my community and saddened, um, and I was just horrified to think of other people who might already feel marginalized in their community being confronted with that messaging. Chinese authorities solve the mystery involving a fatal bus crash. The evidence from onboard cameras retrieved from the river later on the news hour. And Alec Baldwin is known for his hot temper. What got him in trouble this time? Still ahead. Right now, though, boats mooring in Vancouver's Falls Creek are often an issue in the summer. But a new flotilla has arrived for the winter, raising concerns for neighbors. The boats are clearly contravening federal law, but the owners claim that the ongoing housing crisis they have, or with the ongoing housing crisis, they have nowhere else to go. Jill Bennett reports. False Creek is a beautiful spot to drop anchor, and that's what these boats have been doing for weeks. We get emails every day saying they're going to uh, tow us. So I know that our staff is working diligently with them, and they're going to try to find a solution. But currently, if they are breaking the law, we need to respect the laws. And wouldn't that mean removing them, though? Yep. Boats mooring in False Creek aren't permitted to stay more than 14 consecutive days in the spring and summer, 21 in the winter. The federal law enforced by the city applies to all boats spending more than eight hours in False Creek. But these boaters claim that law is unconstitutional, especially given Vancouver's housing crisis. There's hundreds of motorhomes and campers and and hundreds of homeless people living right around the seawall, not to mention the downtown east side. We, We have a housing crisis and we want to be part of this solution. Wilson has been fighting the system for years, receiving numerous tickets for illegal mooring. The case has landed him in provincial court. He also denies accusations the flotilla is dumping sewage into the creek. So we are allowing the pump boats to now go out to these boats because we do do free pump outs as one of our aspects as the park board to ensure for better water quality. Morgan Auger used to live on a boat and says the laws should allow for more liveaboards. We should be able to uh, moor and spend time in safe harbour, especially when it's needed. In the winter time, when there's no traffic, people should be allowed to come to a safe harbour in winter. But while work is being done to find a solution, boats illegally moored could be towed out of the creek, something that is likely to happen before any law is changed. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, a developer has, uh, it's being called a historic agreement, a plan to build up to 650 units of affordable non-market housing 
in Yale Town. The proposal would see developer Concord Pacific transfer ownership of three sites in Yale Town to the city of Vancouver to construct and operate hundreds of affordable housing units in partnership with BC Housing. Half of the units would be targeted to families. The basic target there is that income range of 30 to 80,000 household income per year. Um, if we get additional funding uh, through our partnership with BC Housing and the federal government, as the mayor indicated, we would look to deepen the, the subsidy on some of those units. The agreement also includes a payment from Concord Pacific that the city expects to invest in critical infrastructure work in the neighborhood. That includes creating the long-awaited new Creekside Park. Well, last night we told you about bird watchers flocking to New York Central Park to catch a glimpse of a magnificent mandarin duck. And it turns out the Big Apple isn't the only city in North America you could spot such a bird in the wild. Even though it's native to Asia, Linda Aylesworth reports we have our own right here in Metro Vancouver. On the north shore of Burnaby Lake, the bird paparazzi is out in force. There's talk of an exotic celebrity in town. We're all here for that mandarin duck. We've been here since the morning trying to get him. Very famous. One of the one of the most famous ducks in the world. He's also elusive, on this day at least. But there have been previous sightings. It's amazing. The color is just unreal. It's like somebody photoshopped and put it back in the lake. When I first saw a picture of a mandarin duck, I was just like, oh my god. That is the most beautiful creature I think I have ever seen. Nature photographer Linda Tapler has long wanted to see a mandarin duck, but they live in Asia. So when she heard one was spotted in Burnaby Lake... I came down and uh, saw a crowd and I said, you know, is there a mandarin duck around here? And they're like, he's right there. He was everything she hoped he would be. Well, I pinched myself. Is this really true? Or is this another one of my dreams? Pinch, pinch. There's been a lot of pinching going on in New York City lately, where another wayward Mandarin duck recently showed up. But how did he get there? Or ours get here? Uh, someone was like, a, keep as a pet, and then just released it. I think he was a stowaway on a big ship. I'd like to think that's kind of romantic. I'd love to be a stowaway on a big ship. Have everybody take pictures of me. So many questions. Like, where is he now? The latest rumors say Lost Lagoon in Stanley Park. As for why he's here, reportedly hanging out with his close relative, the Wood Duck. He's a tourist. He's got his little bucket list. He's doing Stanley Park right now. <laughs> Stanley Park dick. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. He's uh, ducking all the attention. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Top billing for that joke. <laughs> After a busy afternoon and evening commute over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, traffic has eased off quite nicely in both directions. But don't forget, there is this ongoing counterflow lane project happening every night from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Bundle up for winter with Mitsubishi Motors. Purchase new Mitsubishi vehicle now and get a no-charge winter tire bundle worth up to $1,400 on select vehicles. MitsubishiMotors.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Police in China have released shocking footage of a bus crash. That includes video from inside the bus recovered from a river that reveals the cause of the deadly accident. The deadly altercation on board a bus caught on camera. It all starts when a female passenger in southwest China begins shouting at the driver for missing her stop, attacking him with her cell phone. 
The driver, fighting back, seems to lose control as he steers to the left, swerving into incoming traffic. Terrified passengers heard screaming. This footage from another vehicle shows the bus colliding with a car, then smashing through a guardrail and plunging down into the river, a 164-foot drop. The video released today by police helps shed light on just what happened after the disaster, captivating China and dominating headlines for days. The wreckage, laying more than 200 feet underwater at the bottom of the Yangtze River, finally pulled from the water Wednesday. Several of the passengers' bodies had to be recovered by divers. Investigators now say that both the driver and that female passenger were to blame for the deadly crash. All 15 people on board presumed dead, although divers are still searching for the bodies of two of the victims. Lucy Kafanov, NBC News, London. Donald Trump still focusing on immigration and not the economy in his final campaign push leading up to the American midterm elections. But he is walking back his threats to order troops to shoot would-be illegal immigrants if they resort to stone throwing. Heading into the home stretch in West Virginia, where the president didn't spend much time highlighting the positive jobs numbers or low unemployment rate. They all say, speak about the economy, speak about the economy. Well, we have the greatest economy in the history of our country. But sometimes it's not as exciting to talk about the economy, right? Instead, moving on to the message he thinks will electrify his base, stoking fears over immigration. Homeland Security has just confirmed that members of the lawless caravan, the one you've been watching, come from 20 different countries and include among them criminals and gang members. And the president backtracking from this remark. And I told him, consider it a rifle. When they throw rocks like they did at the Mexico military and police, I say, consider it a rifle. Now trying to walk back those comments. I didn't say shoot, but they do that with us. They're going to be arrested for a long time. And the president under scrutiny for suggesting the synagogue massacre and pipe bomb threat slowed early voting momentum. Now, we did have two maniacs stop a momentum that was incredible because for seven days, nobody talked about the elections. Mr. Trump entering his final sprint, nine rallies in eight states over the next four days. Tonight, putting the focus on the fierce fight for the Senate in Indiana. Kristen Welker, NBC News, Indianapolis, Indiana. Actor Alec Baldwin was arrested today for allegedly punching a man in the face during a dispute over a parking spot. Alec, anything you want to say about what happened? Police say Baldwin claimed he and a family member, or had a family member, holding a spot for him as he tried to park his vehicle outside his New York City home this afternoon. But another driver pulled up and took it. The NYPD says the men argued before it turned violent. Baldwin is expected to face an assault charge. In 2014, he was arrested in New York for biking the wrong way on a one-way street. He was also arrested in 1995 for for allegedly hitting a paparazzi photographer in Los Angeles. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from health officials across western Canada about a salmonella outbreak linked to long English cucumbers. The Public Health Agency of Canada says there are 50 confirmed cases, 42 of them here in B.C., The illnesses were reported between mid-June and early October. Ten people have been hospitalized, but no deaths have been reported. Right now, there are no recall warnings associated with this outbreak. 
And llamas might just be the secret weapon to help fight the flu. A team of international researchers took four antibodies from the animals and injected them into mice. The llama antibodies were used because they're so small they can fit into the tiny spaces on the surface of a virus. Scientists found that the antibodies protected the rodents from variations of the two strains of the flu virus. It still needs to undergo much more testing before scientists even begin to think about testing it on people. But it is, they say, promising. Kids these days. A bunch of students spotted on the street teaching a lesson about kindness coming up right after the forecast. And you see the blue sky and sunshine out there despite what we felt last night, Christine. We're doing pretty well this year compared to other years. Yes, so this was 2017, November 2nd. Kamloops woke up to snow. Look at it. It looks like quite a bit, about five centimeters at least uh, in that area. And um, for our region, we actually saw snow on November 3rd, everyone. This photo from North Delta. Yes, last year, November 3rd. And we saw snow even at YVR on November 4th. So we had Two days of snow this time of year. So we're doing not too badly. By the way, that could be the difference between last year's La Nina year versus this year's more El Nino year that we could be seeing and that blob. And we're still going to keep you up to date on how things are progressing with the blob and El Nino. As we get into next week, we'll be talking more about that. But this is the soaker we talked about. So we're focusing in on the timeline, the areas that will be hit hardest. Here's a look at how much rainfall we're expecting uh, through Sunday morning. Now, we are expecting the rain to develop Saturday morning, but the most intense rainfall, I think, will happen later in the day Saturday, likely through the evening hours. If you're on the east coast of Vancouver Island, not much rainfall for you. The hardest hit areas will be on the west coast of Vancouver Island and along the mountain ranges. So from the Sunshine Coast right through Howe Sound and then those North Shore Mountains, same areas that we saw last night from West Vancouver right through to Maple Ridge. So focusing in a little closer on those exact areas, How much rainfall? Significant amounts. Similar amounts to what we saw this past rainstorm. So we'll be watching this over the next 24 hours. Tune back in tomorrow morning. Kasha will be here in the morning. Yvonne will be here in the afternoon. And we'll keep you up to date on what's going on. And don't forget... Saturday or sorry Sunday morning Saturday night we change our clocks back it means we do gain an hour of sleep I always love that but it means that yes on Sunday afternoon it the sun is going to go down quite early okay here's your forecast for your Saturday everyone we're certainly looking at wet conditions right across the province those of you in the BC Peace River area snowfall continuing tomorrow you can expect another five centimeters of snow on the ground down through the south we will see a few breaks in the clouds but still Looking at wet conditions, areas like Valmont and Golden waking up to flurries first before it changes over to rain. Wet conditions all across the south coast. But those of you on the east coast of Vancouver Island, although you won't see as much rain, we're expecting windy conditions for your region. So winds up to 60 kilometers an hour potentially. It's one day that we will be contending with that rain. And then it looks like we're in for a trend of pretty nice weather right through until Tuesday. I'll leave you with a nice shot showing the sun shine from today in Kitimath. I feel like I should hear, we should be hearing like a church choir or something. Angels like singing right? yeah. with that one. Thanks very much. Well, a little something to restore your faith in the future. Spotted by Global BC cameraman Carl Castleman. Grade 6 and 7 students from Pitt River Middle School took to the streets of Port Coquitlam today to do nothing more than spread kindness. They handed out flowers and notes with positive messages 
for no other reason than to brighten someone else's day. Oh, how beautiful a day can be when kindness touches you. Have a great day from Pit River Middle School students. What do you think about that? That's just great, being nice, passing on. Maybe I'll see somebody else and pass it on to them. Some people could have a bad day, and we're spreading like positivity to, to people who are having a bad day. An act of kindness, no matter how small, is never wasted. Have a great day. What do you think about doing this today? I think it's really nice and makes me feel good. There's complicated, crazy complicated, and simple. It's the choice you the electoral reform debate, 980 CKNW, BC1 and Global BC, Thursday, November 8th. Is that election reform music? And the post-game show coming up immediately after that. There are winners and losers. Always. Drew, election, uh, yes. Drew in the NHL as well. So Francesco Aquilini says he's going to live tweet during the game tonight. Oh, yeah. we got we got to dial in. <laughs> Lately, that. Francesco has really gotten into the whole Twitter thing. He's upped his Twitter game. Yeah. A lot of it is he's not happy there's no Uber in this town. <laughs> it's I'm thinking a pla- myself, it is a platform. Does, would Francesco take Uber? Would he not have someone who drives him himself? Maybe yeah. he wants to be one of the he people. He has his own Uber, I think. Anyway, that's what he will. He often tweets about. But he'll do the game tonight, so you can watch that. Uh, oh, Canucks and uh, Avalanche this evening. That's what he'll be tweeting about. Colorado had a meltdown last night. They blew a 4-1 lead after two periods. Calgary scored five third-period goals and beat them 6-5. So maybe they'll come in, as they like to say, as an angry team. Um, Now, last season when the Avalanche were here, they rallied against the Canucks. That night, the Canucks gagged on a 4-1 lead as well. The Avalanche scored five power play goals on them, led by Nathan McKinnon, who, along with uh, Rantanen and Landeskog, are one of the most dangerous lines in the NHL. What they did to the Canucks last season at Rogers Arena, that memory is seared into Travis Green's brain. Uh, the power play was was great. And uh, even in their building, I thought McKinnon had a dynamite night in their building. Uh, but he's had a lot of dynamite nights. He's, he's a hell of a player. And uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that what you're facing over there. They've, that line's unbelievable. So with all the injuries the Canucks have in defense, it's a good thing for Vancouver that Ben Hutton spent the summer finding his game, which appeared to be lost last season. In fact, this summer was kind of a fork in the road for Ben Hutton and his career with the Vancouver Canucks. If he had made the wrong turn, he probably wouldn't be here right now. Because after last season, he was put on notice by Travis Green. At the end of the day, Ben Hutton had six assists in 61 games, and I wasn't thrilled with some of the some of the things he was doing. His conditioning wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. His I thought he could play better than he did on the ice, and we pushed him to do that. That was Travis Green at the end of last season, basically challenging Ben Hutton to shape up or ship out. And Hutton took that advice to heart, dedicating himself like never before to a summer conditioning program. And it's paid off already. Being in top shape has allowed Hutton to do the things on the ice we saw from him in the first couple of seasons when he was a key part of the Canucks blue line. No, he's doing the little things. He's not trying to do um, you know, too much and, and trying to, to play out of his comfort zone. And I think um, for him to to keep it simple and make the good first pass and, and do the little things for him is, is huge for his game right now. Good things happen when you're, when you're prepared for opportunity. You have a better chance of success than if you're 
if you're only at 70% or whatever he probably was last year, I think. But he's noticeably turned it around, and with the blue line decimated by injuries yet again this year, the Canucks have leaned on Hutton, who has responded to that tough love from his head coach. I knew deep down inside that I had it in me. Um, it, it was just uh, you know like a matter of putting the work boots on, and the hard hat on, and going to work. And uh, you know it's it's never easy. I mean, especially when it gets brought into the media. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, in the long run, it's it's helped me uh, this year. So I just want to continue to build on it. You hope that you know later in his career he looks back and and realizes that maybe that helped him. Into the NHL record last night. Habs score. Max Domi makes it 5-4 against Washington. So now the Caps hold their goalie. And two seconds later, they score again. That's the fastest by one team. Actually, twice in NHL history, each team in a game has scored two seconds apart. The old record was three seconds by one team. Well, the Canucks aren't the only team that has surprised everyone with their start. So have the Seattle Seahawks. Nobody expected much from Seattle. But the Seahawks are doing what head coach Pete Carroll loves. They're running the ball with success, meaning that quarterback Russell Wilson doesn't have to handle the offense all by himself. And Seattle's defense, no longer the legion of boom, but so far this season it's been one of the better defenses in the NFL. Let's stop the run together and let's have some fun together. What's fun is being second overall in forcing turnovers. We, we knew kind of coming into the season that we had a great group of guys. And we knew that they, the, I guess they, but the outside was uh, sleeping on the leadership that we had in the building. And remember, this is a Seahawks defense that is young in many places, especially the secondary. And of course, they lost star safety Earl Thomas three weeks ago. I don't know what, what what we expected. We just know how Seahawks play. We know our philosophy, and and the guys stepped in uh, and played hard. They understood. They bought in. And um, and when you when you play that hard and you care that much, good things happen. And soon that defense will be tested more than ever. Not only do they have another date with the Rams, they also have to play the Chargers the Packers, the Vikings, and the Kansas City Chiefs before the end of the season. And the L.A. Dodgers have re-signed Clayton Kershaw, three-year contract worth $93 million. Wow. But it's not just $93 million, it has incentives. Because <laughs> $93 million might not be enough. It's not enough. There you oh go. my goodness. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Before, the world was big and there was less to consume. But now, the world is small. We've gone from analyzing to vetting to suffocating, and our minds get made up for us. Before, clarity and context and comfort. Now, uncharted. What to know, when to care, what's objective, what is fair. So in this landscape of now, how do we find our way like before? Global News. Navigate the now. Coming up on ET Canada, fashion highlights from Meghan's royal tour of the South Pacific. Plus, we're in Scotland to find season four secrets from the set of Outlander. That is all coming up at seven right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Right, thank you, Cheryl. We should point out That's that cool. uh, that Sophie I, is wearing the Meghan Markle dress tonight. Really? It's actually the Sophie Louis dress. It's the Sophie Louis she dress. Meghan was wearing it. it. That's right. In Australia. But nice. anyway, nice. stole my look again. 
<laughs> Who wore it better? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no problem. What's up, Squire? What do you got? Niango Star. Before we show this, Niango Star is, I guess it's a, <laughs> it's an apple crossed with a cat. And he's a big hit in Japan, and he drums. Now, he drums to the song of a kid's show over there on stage, but at some point, the person in this mascot suit gets tired of drumming to this kid's he song. Just can't hold and it. yeah, he can't hold back. He just goes all speed metal on us. So here we go. Let's pick it up in the middle. There he is, keeping a good beat. And the woman in the background is kind of a conductor. Yeah. But eventually, it's like, how the heck with this? Now he starts channeling Keith Moon at some point here. There he goes. <laughs> I saw someone tweet this out and say, this is what happens when you're overqualified for a job. What do you think of his techniques, It's great, considering what he's wearing. I didn't Big finish. Nope, but he points at the crowd. Yeah. You know how hot he is in that now? After working <laughs> so hard, he is just sweating buckets. That guy really should Might be, be a girl, though. It could be. I don't could know who girl. it we is. Could be guy, could be girl, but they should be on stage with a real <laughs> band because they got something going on. That's good. Um, in England, they start the Christmas commercials early. That's, that's like their Super Bowl ads, Christmas ads. Uh, here's the first one we found. Christmas home. Asta, save money, live better. There you go. Are you in the mood already now? That was good. Oh, well, not quite. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, one from Wild Turkey and one featuring Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Here we go. Throughout history, men have stepped up. We should put that in that. We should see what's up there. We should go to the moon.
it's over to you, gentlemen. Burn up. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Greg. Listen, um, it's becoming a little bit of a problem uh, that you aren't using your real arms. Hmm. <laughs> Everybody knows you're using the fake arms so you can keep playing Tune Blast. What are you talking about? If you'll excuse me, my burrito's getting cold. Yeah, no, eat. Oh, um, I'm so hungry. All right. Go, 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 go. Bon appetit. Leave it. Sleep. <laughs> His burrito is getting cold. <laughs> there you He's go. a funny dude. He's there you very go. funny. I was hoping dude. he would try to eat the burrito and it would spill all over. Yeah. <laughs> That's our bit. That's too funny. <laughs> what? Are you talking about? <laughs> All right, final word on the weather? Uh, sure, it's going to be wet tomorrow. It develops through the morning hours, and it's going to be pretty intense later in the day. All right. Ooh, is that glowing orange? I think. Looks good. All right, have a great weekend. Good night, all. BC Lines.